Man, what a blessing to be here today. My heart is already full. A couple of comments, um, and I'm watching the clock. I made a discovery this week when I was in here. I came in here for a moment of worship and meditation, and I sat right over here, and after I had a few quiet moments, I looked up and realized that clock on the wall back there is slow. Um, and it's slower than my phone. So I am now absolved for ever preaching too long in this place because it's the clock's fault. So, but now that I've got it in my mind where it falls, I've made the necessary adjustments. But there's a couple things that I would like to say God just impressed upon me as I was sitting there. First of all, I am so grateful for Jesus. I am so grateful for those red letters of forgiveness, of love. I remember growing up in church and from time to time, somebody would always say or somebody would say something along these lines and I understand their motivations. We, you know there's, there's no sacrifice in the Bible for intentional sin. Intentional sins were just punished. I don't know why people said that, because it's kind of like, I don't know, they're trying to convince themselves they've never done that. Um, it seems like all of my sins that I commit, I mean, occasionally I'll do the sins that just kind of spring up on me, but most of the time the sins I commit are the ones I think about for a little while and think, I shouldn't do that. And then, oh man, Lord, I am so foolish. We're all guilty of sins in the first degree. Now, God forbid we live an openly sinful lifestyle. That's not God's design, of course. But in the Old Testament, there is no sacrifice for intentional sin. But there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness. And this is what makes the New Testament so good. Jesus and his sacrifice did what those Old Testament sacrifices could never do. Those Old Testament sacrifices made you acceptable to walk in to the temple again. But Jesus makes you acceptable to stand before God again. Amen. I'm so grateful for Jesus. Observation number two, just a full heart this morning. Um, I don't even know if he's still in the room, but Aaron, our worship associate, was leading us this morning. I've had the privilege of watching him for over a year now as he's been on our staff. and um, He is a very gifted young man. But the thing that I'm blessed most by him is his willingness to learn and his heart to serve. Um, it's been over a decade ago. I was serving at another church, and uh, I was on staff. At a, it was a much larger church, and we, the church had hired this worship associate that had never led a choir or traditional music or anything like that. And uh, when he got there, he just said, listen, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that, so sorry. And it really put a, uh, a hard place on the church because they needed someone to lead the choir and do those things, and they just brought this guy on to do it. When Aaron got here, he said, listen, I've never led a choir. I've only led from a guitar. Aaron is a graduate of Belmont. He got his bachelor's and his MBA from Belmont University in Tennessee, and he said, I've never led a choir. And he's never known how much this meant to me. He said, but 
I can learn. I can learn. And of his own volitional will, he called up Blue Mountain Christian University and asked if he could take classes to learn how to lead a choir and to lead traditional worship. And not only that, he sat down with Pastor Randy and Pastor Randy has poured into him. Friends, they don't make them like that much anymore. I'm so blessed by that young man. And when you see him, you tell him what a good job he did and how much you appreciate him. This morning, I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, by the way, it felt so good to say young man. <laughs> I never get to say that. <laughs> yeah, I'm his senior by, I think, 16 years or something like that. But, but anyway, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 4 through 20. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 4 through 20, as we talk today about the king of the hill. The king of the hill. You know the game. You played it when you were young. If you were a boy, and especially where I'm from, where there's hills everywhere, we played it a lot. The king of the hill is where you try to get to the top and prevent all the others from getting to the top. And when you get there, you throw off whoever is up there and you enjoy the moment where you are the king of the hill. As we've looked at this story of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is a story about the king of the hill. Babylon is the new king of the hill in the geopolitical world of its time, and they are swooping in, and God has told Habakkuk, listen, I'm actually bringing this king of the hill to discipline my people and to punish them for what they've done because they've turned their hearts away from me. And by the way, before you think God is impatient, because I also know that we're in the book of Jeremiah right now, and y'all, Jeremiah is heavy. It is so heavy to realize, goodness, God, you seem so angry and so impatient. You've got to re remember, he waited hundreds of years before he disciplined his people. Hundreds and hundreds of years before he allowed them to fall to the Babylonians. God is slow to anger. God is not a hothead. But nonetheless, God is just. And we find here that enough had been enough. And God said, I'm going to discipline you, remove you from the land for a time, and then you will return back once the discipline has had its effect. But we've learned in Habakkuk that Habakkuk has a problem with that. God, why would you use that godless king of the hill, Nebuchadnezzar? Why would you use that godless king of the hill who has thrown off all the other kings of the hill in his time and has abused people and pillaged people and overrun nations? Remember chapter 1? He is pulled like a dragnet to grab all the peoples of the world like fish in a dragnet, and he is gaining all of their wealth and prosperity by force and by violence. And Habakkuk says, listen, God, why would you do such a thing? Well, we looked last week is that Habakkuk gets his answer, and God says, well, it's, it's twofold. First is that the proud don't have it as together as you think they do. You think that they just are living high on the hog and they can go to sleep at night and enjoy plenty. And he says, listen, I tell you, they have a restless soul. They have no peace. And then secondly, looking at the righteous man, those who are right with God and right with others, they live not by peace, faith, hope, love, no, not, excuse me, peace, hope, uh, success, any of those things. They live by faith. The righteous live by faith. And now we look today as God describes what's coming to Judah, but even more so what's coming to Babylon for what they're going to do to Judah. So 
Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 4 through 20, the scripture says today, Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing riddles for him and say, do you see the transition there? That he gathers for himself nations. This is Babylon. He's gathering these fish of the sea. Oh, now it turns. Now it turns and says, but shall not all these he gathered take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those who awake will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. Meaning, someone who has abused everyone and then took all the spoils and then put them in a high castle so that no one could reach him. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We're coming back there later. So beautiful. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink you who pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze on their nakedness, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell on them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to them who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at, at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Our main statement this morning is this, to move along quickly today, is that kings and hills will come and go, but the king on the hill is forever. Kings and hills will come and go, but the king on the hill is forever. We, like Habakkuk, look at the world and say, Lord, why do the wicked prosper? Lord, why is it that people who set their sights on the abuse of others 
never seem to get what's coming to them? Why is it that they enjoy the fatness of their abuses and all of this stuff, and yet the people of God are eaten up? Lord, why is this the way that it seems that the wicked always get away with murder and pillaging and destruction? Habakkuk's book says this. Look at history. Nobody gets away with anything. And here is the word and the message for us today because we look at injustice in our world today and we say that's not right. And it's never going to be right again. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. The king of the hill always gets thrown down. Because when you play that game and you reach the top and you throw off who's there, what have you done to get there? You have abused and thrown off everyone up your way up the hill. And by the time you get there, you're out of breath. And there's no hill high enough to keep them from coming and pulling you down. This is the message of this book of Habakkuk today. God is saying, Habakkuk, count on it. Babylon won't get away with a thing. Yes, I'm going to use them to discipline you, but they're not going to get away with it. They're not going to get away with it. You see, the proud trust power. The proud trust power. We read again in verse 4, Behold, his soul is puffed up within him. He is the proud one. Looking down in verse 6, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him who is the him he is the proud king of babylon the proud people of babylon and they have trusted their power and their force and their military to do whatever they wanted they trust power you know there's several different ways of the proud's leadership style when the proud are in power this is what they do they do one of three things first the proud use their position to maintain power the proud use their position to maintain power. I didn't put this book on the screen. I should have, but I've recommended it to you before. It's only, I think, 99 pages, but it's by Gene Edwards, and it's a tale of three kings. It's 99 pages. It was written in 1993, and it's the story of King Saul, King David, and King Absalom, or the would-be King Absalom. And it is, y'all, it is so, so helpful to read. And when I read it, I realized for the first time in reading it, oh, wow, I have been the victim of abusive power. And at the same time, I realized, oh, my goodness, I have also abused others with my power. And that was such a convicting book for me to read, A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. It's written like a fictional tale. It's not a theology book. It's written like a story. You would really enjoy it. But the proud use their position to maintain power. King Saul is an example of the abuse of power. The first king of Israel. He used his position to persecute David. He used his position to get what he wanted to try to install his own son as king, even though God had established David to be king. Um, but with that also, there are three major tools the proud use. The first of which we've already really talked about, and that's power. When the proud have power, they use it to maintain their position, and they use power as a weapon. They silence their opposers. Also, the weapon of intimidation. The proud are, don't hesitate to intimidate. Babylon had been using its military force, but it had been threatening Judah 
for decades. And the proud use power as a weapon, uh, and they also use the weapon of intimidation. Also, the proud use the weapon of demagoguery. Now, we talked a few weeks ago about what demagoguery is. A demagogue, we hear that all the time. He's a demagogue, she's a demagogue. What, what is a demagogue? A demagogue is someone who finds the sore spot in the culture, the sore spot in the family, the sore spot in a church, the sore spot or whatever. A demagogue exploits the sore spot for personal gain through agitation. This is what a demagogue does. It takes division or unhealthiness and it exploits it. He or she exploits that for personal gain and the gathering of power. Friends, demagoguery is found throughout the Bible. It's found throughout our day too. Listen, these are three major tools the proud use. Power, intimidation, and demagoguery. But the proud king of the hill will always fall. If you don't hear anything else today, here's what I want you to, see, to hear. Because some of us have been victims of the abuse of power. And we think, gosh, they're just, they're just never going to, they're just going to get away with it. They've hurt so many people. They've hurt me. They've hurt my family. And they're just going to get away with it. God says, Habakkuk, you can count on it. They're not going to get away with it. Two things are going to happen. They're going to fall on their face and repent towards God. Or they're going to get what's coming to them. And my prayer, as it is for me and all of us, is that anyone who has abused anyone else gets right with God, of course. I don't want anybody to get what's coming to them. But God tells Habakkuk, listen, nobody gets away with anything. Listen to Proverbs 16, verse 18. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Again, you can be assured of this truth. Also, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. With the humble is wisdom. Here's another one. Proverbs 18, verse 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. I know there are some of you uh, that are very bothered by those who have abused their power, whether it be in family, whether it be in the country, whether it be in a church, God forbid this church, but whether it be in somewhere, it's, it's, it's such a, a heavy thing and you think, it just seems like nobody, there's no justice. Everybody gets away with everything. Psalm 37. Whenever you feel like, you know what? There is no justice in the world. Nothing's going to be right again. You go to Psalm 37. I'm going to read you the whole chapter today. It's 40 verses. I'm going to read you the whole chapter. And I want the scripture to wash over your soul. Because for those of you who are thinking that wrong is never going to be made right, Psalm 37. David, a psalm of David. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as light, 
and your justice is noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger. Oh man, what a word. Don't let Him make you angry. Let it go. Don't fret over it. You clench your teeth. It's like, dear God, this is so wrong. I just can't stand it. David said, don't waste your time. Keep your blood pressure down. Read Psalm 37. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Oh man, what a word. I'm not preaching Psalm 37, but I can think of so many times where I've gotten so mad at some injustice in my life or some injustice that I see and my anger makes me intolerable for my family. And I'm not even mad at them. David says, stop wasting your time. Don't be angry. Trust in the Lord. Look at verse 10, verse 9. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows and bring down the poor and the needy and slay those whose way is upright their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked for the arms of the wicked shall be broken but the Lord upholds the righteous the Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever they are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off the steps of a man are established by the lord when he delights in his way though he fall he will not be cast headlong for the lord upholds his hand i have been young and now i am old yet i have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread he is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing turn away from evil and do good you shall dwell forever for the lord loves justice and he will not forsake his saints they are preserved forever but the children of the wicked shall be cut off the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice the law of his god is on his heart his steps do not slip the wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death the Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land and you will look on when the wicked are cut off I have seen a wicked ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree but he passed away and behold he was no more though I sought him 
he could not be found. Mark the blameless, behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Somebody needed that today. The proud king of the hill will always fall. Principle number two, not only did the proud trust power, principle number two is this, that the righteous trust providence. The righteous trust providence. What is providence? We use that word all the time, divine providence. We don't know what it means, many of us. Providence is a combination of two Latin words. First is pro, which means before, and video, we say video, which means I see. So providence is to see before, or I see before. Providence means to see before. This is also where we get the word provision and provide. What does that mean? To provide for someone is to see the need they have, and then meet the need. That's what it means to provide. Meaning, when I provide for my family, you provide for your family, I see their needs and know, and I act and do something about it. God is a God of providence and provision. Provision means to meet a need that you have already seen. Providence, by the way, is not appreciated in the moment. It's not appreciated in the moment. Providence is seeing things before they are needed. But afterwards and later, providence is worth its weight in gold and hindsight. Here's the conundrum with Habakkuk. All Habakkuk sees is the wicked king of the hill in Babylon. And God is assuring Habakkuk, listen, you can trust me. The righteous can live by faith, Habakkuk. You trust me. Babylon's going to get what's coming to them, and I'm going to provide for you because I already know about your future, and I'm already there providing. That's providence. And providence is worth its weight in gold in hindsight. Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 through 5, some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I think the story of Joseph outside of Jesus it may be my favorite story in the Bible or something to do with Jacob's life. I just love Jacob and Joseph. Genesis 45, 4 through 5. This is, you know the story. Joseph been sold into slavery. He'd been abused by his brothers and they come to buy grain and Joseph tests them to see if their hearts have become soft and they've become soft. So Joseph reveals to them that, hey, listen, I'm your brother. And they're scared to death, but listen to what Joseph says. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Oh, I wish I could talk on the grace of God. Oh, because we've got one even better than Joseph. But I'm not talking about the grace of God right now. I'm talking about God's provision. That even in the wickedness of what the brothers did to Joseph, God was working beforehand, seeing what needed to be provided, and he was already making a way. The righteous, 
don't live by having the answers. The righteous live by trusting the one who has them. The righteous don't live by provision. The righteous live by providence. The righteous live by the one who assures us, listen, I've been young, I've been old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his children begging for bread. Principle number three. Principle number three is there are two constants in the world. First, the king of heaven sits unmoved on his hill. There is one king that will not be thrown off the hill. The king of heaven sits unmoved on his hill, the holy hill of Zion in the heavenly places. I'm not talking about the geopolitical Jerusalem. I'm talking about the Jerusalem that's from above. He is unmoved. He is unmoved and he rules and he reigns and his kingdom is forever. The second thing that is sure and you can count on it is that his mission is always moving forward. Oh, there's so much belly aching. I do it too. We talk about, oh, such a setback for the kingdom of God. This is terrible. We're going the wrong way. I thought the saints were supposed to be marching on. This is awful. David says no. Habakkuk says no. There are no setbacks in the kingdom of God. There are ultimately no setbacks to his kingdom mission. There are only catalysts for greater things. God was allowing this to happen in Babylon to do a work greater than anyone living could possibly imagine. God was going to send the world a Savior and make the entire world right with God. I'm telling you, there are no setbacks for the kingdom of God. I'm a lover of history, you know that. I listen to history podcasts, I read historical books, and um, my daughter has kind of picked that up with me, and she and I have been watching several historical movies here lately. That's Adeline Kate, because I had to specify, I got a bunch of those. Um, but anyway, one of the people I've read a lot through history, because I'm fascinated by him, is Winston Churchill, the British Prime Minister, as he served, especially in his years during the Second World War. Britain had been bombarded time after time again. The Nazi blitzkrieg war machine, which was not a stronger army than France, not a stronger army than Britain. The reason they succeeded is because they had the lightning warfare, the sneak attack, and they rushed in and won the battlefield before the great powers of Europe had a chance to stop them. And it looked like Europe was going to fall and Winston Churchill was begging FDR to get involved but FDR the American president had run on a ticket of anti-war and he said we cannot be involved and then you know what happened December the 7th 19 what 41 the whole world changed as over 2,000 people died from a steak attack by the Japanese on pure harbor. By the way, the Japan of the day is not the Japan of then. But the sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, America was devastated about what had happened. The loss of life. How could that possibly be used for good? I want to read you, though, the reflections of Winston Churchill upon the news of Pearl Harbor. 
America was crying. Winston Churchill was saying thank you in his bedtime prayers. No American will think it wrong of me if I proclaim to have the United States at our side was to me the greatest joy. I could not foretell the course of events. I do not pretend to have measured accurately the martial might of Japan. But now at this very moment, I knew the United States was in the war, up to the neck and to the death. So we had won after all. Yes, after Dunkirk, after the fall of France, after the horrible episode of Iran, after the threat of invasion, when apart from the air and the navy, we were almost an unarmed people, after the deadly struggle of the U-boat war, after the first battle of the Atlantic gained by a hand's breadth, after 17 months of lonely fighting and 19 months of my responsibility and dire stress, we had won the war. England would live. Britain would live. The Commonwealth of Nations, the Empire would live. How long the war would last or in what fashion it would end, no man could tell. Nor did I care it nor did I at this moment care. Once again, after our Long Island history, we should emerge safe, would emerge, however mauled or mutilated, safe and victorious. We should not be wiped out. Our history would not come to an end. We might not even have to die as individuals. Hitler's fate was sealed. Mussolini's fate was sealed. And as for the Japanese, they would be ground to powder. When we look at history and we see what happened on that fateful day of December the 7th, 1941, God used that tragedy to literally save the world. And I'm telling you, there's something greater than the tragedy of Pearl Harbor. Not in 1941, but in A.D. 33. Where in the most unjust, most ugly setback the history of the world has ever seen, Jesus died on a cross he didn't deserve. But there has never been a greatest, greater catalyst greater catalyst for greater things. Romans 5.18 says this, Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings right relationship with God and new life for everyone. You may say, why do the wicked prosper, Brother Matt? It's only for a moment, but the kingdom of God marches on. You can count on it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, we are so quick to get angry when we don't see the progress that we think ought to be there. We are so, Lord, frustrated. Some of us to the point it makes us sick. And Lord, your word says, stop wasting your time. Trust the Lord. Lord, I pray that Lord that many would turn to you. Lord, I don't want anybody to get what's coming to them. But Lord, let my heart not think for a moment that the kingdom of God is faltering. I don't pretend to know what the future looks like, but I know your kingdom will prevail. Lord, help us to trust your word 
when we struggle to trust our eyes. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen.